Students, pay attention, students. Good morning, I'm your substitute teacher, Mr. Bletch, and these are my rules. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast, students, that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. Now, students, this is very important. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Bueller. Bueller. It's just savagely good. (laughs) All right. Aviation. Oh, Um, yeah. I got this podcast thing. So there's a – I don't know if you've paid attention to the news. I'm not sure how much of the – whether this reached your news down there. But there was a forced landing on Interstate Highway up here in Massachusetts a couple days ago. Um, A uh, Cherokee of some sort uh, from uh, Bedford uh, uh, Airport, Bedford, uh, Hanscom Field. Uh, was flying a little bit south of there, down around the Mansfield, Massachusetts, Norwood, Massachusetts area, and uh, apparently had engine problems and was limping its way back to uh, trying to get into Mansfield Airport to land and didn't quite make it and landed on uh, Interstate 495, which is sort of right there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's your basic story. Uh, they landed on the interstate. Uh, the nose wheel collapsed, which sort of makes it an interesting story. Otherwise, it wouldn't because there's just been a lot of people landing on, on, on roads lately. But uh, um, nose, g- g- nose wheel collapsed, uh, spill fueled out in the highway. They foamed it. Um, it you know, both people on board got out and walked away. No big deal. Um, nobody hurt on the ground. It was a good landing. Yeah. Um, n- not a big story, um, aviation-wise, yeah. or at least from our, my perspective. You know, I, when I first heard about it, because one of our listeners, um, R. Felty, actually was in the air nearby and heard it on the radio. He's uh, listening to the right tower frequency at the time and heard them, you know, call. I don't think they declared an emergency, but heard them call for help and, and so forth and so on. And so I heard about it there. Um, and then it was in the news. So interesting story. Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to make off-field landing of the week or not. I kind of just stashed away in my head. That's where it was until this morning. This morning... I'm uh, driving my car uh, down the road, and I'm listening to the local sports radio station. The particular folks on this morning sports radio station, for some reason that just escapes me, like to talk about non-sports subjects on a regular basis. All right, And this guy, all right, I have to warn you in advance here, two weeks in a row, I'm going on a rant here. <laughs> this is just pissing me off. Are we, re- are we recording yeah, it? Yeah, we are. We're recording this. Okay. All right. The, the, ah, good. The, the, this is... You know, I don't know. Maybe as I get older, it's like the second week in a row I'm going on a ramp here. Maybe as I get older, I'm turning into Dave, all right? But (laughs) this guy on the radio station goes off on the fact that these guys had to make an emergency landing on the highway. He was just outrageous. He's talking about these two kids who they were apparently 21 and 25-ish, all right? Uh Um, they, he's like, he's going, he's how they, they landed on the highway and they endangered all these people. And I think somebody ought to like sue them, you know, and how dare they, um, according to the reports and he's recording the reports that they were, and he kept using this phrase, practicing stall maneuvers. All right. 
right? Uh-huh. And he was just outraged that they he, they were practicing stall maneuvers, not directly overhead an airport. All right. What's this bozo's name? And um um, oh, I knew his name too. And I want to be able to name him when I start here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. Um, so. And, and I'm listening to this, and it's becoming more and more clear to me he doesn't know what a stall maneuver is. This is the classic, right. you know, mistake. He thinks <clears throat> stall maneuver has to do with shutting down the engine somehow, some way, all right? Well, it, here's, here's the thing. This is, this, this is a new division of clown practice. It's now on the radio. They don't have to put on makeup. But they just have to act stupid and say whatever controversial crap comes into their head. And they pride themselves, it seems. I mean, I get the feeling that they do because otherwise, some of them would learn something about what they're shooting. Their oh yeah, I know. About. They pride themselves on not knowing anything, but taking the position of the indignant everyday man, yeah. with which they have so much in common with their six-figure salaries and their five-figure rides to and from work, uh, the residuals from their commercial appearances, and all the adulation and panties that they can get thrown at them. Well, you know, the only problem with that is that there's real people listening who actually turn to bozos like this i'm sorry that's an insult to bozo turn to amateur clowns like this uh, thinking that they're going to get real information yeah. and the reason the guy digresses from sports whoever he is is because he probably doesn't freaking know enough about sports to fill out the whole show well so he's got to turn to whatever gets ripped and read off the ap wire this this uh, just made me furious i'm driving my car and i'm listening to this guy and i'm thinking you know because he goes on he's like say somebody should sue these guys he's going why do they let kids learn to fly airplanes all right he went on about the fact that it was a 35 year old airplane as if that made it rickety and dangerous you know uh-huh. i mean it's just totally hey, he's probably shooting off at least a 40 year old mouth and look at the <laughs> condition it's in. i never thought of that that's a good line i, I wish i thought of that um so it just pissed me off and i'm i'm just i'm just seething as i drive along the along the road listening to this i finally i couldn't take any longer i, I changed the radio station i probably should continue to listen because then a couple of listeners called in one of them was trying to, to defend and trying to explain you know and the guy just didn't want to hear it you know and then another guy called in and was backing him up and it was just got ugly and i'm seething i'm thinking what in the world can be done here you know i'm, I'm thinking i could i could write this guy a letter and try and explain it to him the chances are he doesn't want to know what really happened actually he wants you to do that he wants you to do that so he can continue this rant with and then some idiot named jack sent me this letter with this bs about aviation and blah blah how many 35 year old cars do you see on the street but this is not you see all kinds of 40 year old mouths out there and you know you see even a lot more 40 year old assholes jack jack did the guy um you were listening to sound anything like dave (laughs) <laughs> no, Dave sounds way more intelligent. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, and I got to thinking, and I got to thinking, you know, it's just not right. It's just not fair. All right. And, and it's no, like. No, this is, this, is this is what the world got this is, when this the Federal is the Communications Commission did away with the fairness doctrine back sure. in the 80s. But what's to be sure. done about yeah. this? All right. This is not like some radio guy. All right having an outrageous opinion, all right, that might be based on fact. This guy was totally wrong, and he was trashing our community, and, and, and he was slandering us. He was I damaging think, us, all right? I think ridicule is the appropriate response, because the guy is clearly a nincompoop. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's doing whatever he's doing, because he doesn't know how to do anything better. And 
ridicule is really the only response you can have, yeah, and, and and just mock him and this and is move a, on. It, this is a send, big radio send station. Send people to the radio station website. Have them post ridiculing comments on the blog. Yeah, well, so, you know what? You know, that's you know, right. You know you what, know, listeners? I, I, I thought I was listening to a sports show, and then I realized that it was Comedy Central by mistake. When did they start carrying Comedy Central on the radio? <laughs> listeners, listeners, that's not a bad idea. Listeners, I have a request. Well, you, could also, right. you could also, you know, send information about this to AOPA and, and EAA, this, who can, you know, do their own outreach, and they'll put it in print on their newsletters, and that'll help recruit other people to the cause of ridicule. Uh you know, I mean, just a little guy, uh, beyond all reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listeners, probably, if you're so inclined, this is pretty, this is probably be little anyway. W E E I Radio in Boston. All right, they have, I believe they're W E I dot com. Uh, they have a pretty active website. I think there's a forum. All right, I'm not suggesting anybody do anything outrageous or you know, kind of you know, ugly. All right, but well, if you want to make your opinion known, all right, I think I'm gonna. All right, it, this is just. If it was my, if it was a market that I lived in, and I'd heard that from a radio station, uh, the first thing I'd be doing is calling the advertiser, saying, "You know, I'm just one poor listener, but this guy that you helped support was so far off base that I can no longer do any business with you guys." So, sorry, <clears throat> I just thought you ought to know why yeah. this one customer dropped off your planet. I'm not sure if that's enough, and I, and I don't know what to. I mean, I'm kind of serious no, here. All right, we, it, you know, it's not. It's not how, enough. How long enough we got to put up with this? Enough, we we are do that. We are regularly savage. We, the GA community, are regularly savage in the mainstream media, and I, you know, I it's like, and usually, usually by a much higher intelligence level. <laughs> that's what's really insulting here. Yeah. I mean, you could call the guy an income poop, but why would I say things like that against perfectly innocent poop? We need, I guess, you know, I guess AOPA and all these guys are doing the best they can in trying to raise the awareness in a popular, in a, in a positive well, way. It's, it's like firefighting in California, Jack. Yeah. It's not that they can have somebody there to stop these turds before they open their mouth. You can't stop the fire before it erupts. True. You know, it, it, so they run around the country doing their best, AOPA, NATA, EAA, uh, you know, you name it. They, they they are out there putting out little brush fires of ignorance as they pop up all over the country. Sometimes they pop up from little low-level, small-minded, uh, uh, minuscule appendaged radio hosts. Uh, other times there are people who really should know better, like members of the United States Senate. Uh, and, and, you know, the associations go out and they dump as much water as necessary uh in proportion to the amount of fire that that one voice can cause. Well, congratulations to these two pilots that did a good job, got on the ground safely, didn't hurt anybody yeah. in the process. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, if the guy invites you on a radio show, tell him that, you, you know, you, uh, you, you try not to go where there's no sign of intelligent life. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode 152 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Well, you can tell I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this episode on Wednesday evening, September 2nd, 2009. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, is uh, one guy who's pissed off, one guy who's not feeling well, and Jeff. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I'm going beyond I'm, not feeling I'm, well, yeah. being just 
just pissed off too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, um, um, way too much drama for one opening episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> that voice is Jeb Burnside, who was talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm I'm better now. I'm better now. <laughs> I just had to get that off my chest. I don't know what's to be done about this, but it just just annoyed I, the well, crap it's, me. Well, it's I don't know you because he's trashing my world, and there's nothing I can do pe- about pe- it. People like him are going to be with us, whatever the movie line is. People like him are going to be with us like bad weather. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you just ignore them, mock them, and they'll get tired and they'll go away. Yeah. Yeah, don't pay, don't don't feed the bear. Okay, all right. We're going to just use our podcast to get the good word out there and communicate to people all the goodness of general aviation. And um, no one more surprised than I, the voice of reason this evening, Dave Higdon, joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you? Oh, uh, just outstanding. I got my little bottle of brown barley pop here. That's right. And yeah. uh, and, and uh, you know, my stay. two my You're... two best buds. No, not yet. Yeah. Uh, no, no. We like to round off the consonants and pronounce the hard <laughs> characters. Yeah. So you're saving Nyquil till later. Huh? Saving the Nyquil till later. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, man, uh, it's, it's Labor Day. You shouldn't be getting the sniffles already. Well, no. It's 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 uh, it's going to end before Labor Day weekend. Thankfully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, you're home now. You're back in Wichita. I head off on a road trip tomorrow, so it'll be the dog, the cats, and me batching it until uh, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So uh, has the has the local constabulary been notified? I know. Well, I uh, already have surreptitious arrangements to uh, sample some uh, uh, teenage single malts. You scared the crap uh, out of me there for a second. You really did me too there for a moment. I was, I was almost tilt rewind. Um, excuse me a moment. All right. I well, have, I have to click clearly mute. Dave is starting to feel better. And I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, Had you right up to the edge, though, didn't we? You did. Yeah. Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah. So. Uh, so basically, I'm so annoyed by this thing that I've done almost zero prep for this uh, episode. Uh, look at the list. What do you want to talk about? What's going on out there in the world these days? Oh, uh, I had, gee, many. Where had to, to start? Let's yeah. see. Oh, I heard oh, from. Always... I heard from. Um, so I'll, I think it was last week. I talked about the listener who goes by the uh, the forum handle Fransan, Fransan, uh, who I met up at uh, Sanford, who was getting ready to start his uh, sport pilot training, and he posted in the forums that he has in fact taken his first lesson. So I just wanted to kind of give a little shout, past, a little early shout out Saturday. there. Did, yeah, not not uh, too far out of sync when with we with when we were doing. Uh, 151. Yeah, that's right. Saturday morning. That was so. episode 151, not the beverage. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Straighten that out. Uh, so congratulations that's, to uh, France, and that's terrific. Uh, he's uh, he started the whole process. Obviously, he got all his TSA paperwork I'll, done. I'll just say this. I, I remember the last time I had 151 rum, and that's why I don't have any more. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> some things we can be taught. and uh, So uh, congratulations yeah, to him. There, that's terrific. There's some breakups that are permanent. That was one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Congratulations, Fransan, the man was trying to say. Yep. Uh, yeah, and many, job. many, many, many happy future logbook memories to come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What else is going on? You guys been flying? 
I haven't. Yeah, well, uh, you flew up to Georgia last stuff. weekend, right? Last well, week, well, yeah. Or... I, I, was it was it last week? Maybe it was up to Georgia. Yeah, it was, be, it was before uh, the previous episode. We talked about it no, last week. Yeah, I guess so. You got to remember, uh, people. I mean, the the previous episode that we recorded was like four days ago, three days ago. So it's yeah, like Saturday, true. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, one, four um, days. So uh, I, I need to I need to change the oil and uh, do some other things. So I've got I should have some time. Do you do that weekend. kind of stuff yourself? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's it's, one of those great owner-approved yeah. maintenance items that you, you know. Once oh, yeah. you're set up to do it the first time, you're pretty much set up. Yeah, I don't change do it the once oil on my car. You're set I'm for life. Sure would... You know, you just have to have the right equipment. You have to have something to drain the oil into. You have to have a hose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have safety wire. You have to have safety wire pliers. You have to have a fresh filter. Nothing to it. You know, yeah, oil. You safety you wire some, the filter. Some, Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. Does exactly. your Does your Continental have a, a quick drain? Quick opening drain. It, it does. It's got a. It's got a quick drain. I access through one of the cheek panels, um, and um, run the hose up through the cow flaps into a five-gallon gas can. Um, the uh, quick drain has a has a short length of hose on it. I just stick the small hose in the big hose, and uh, uh, trip the mechanism, and it starts draining oil. It's there's nothing to it. Yeah, I, I could uh, I could get to it on uh, Air Comanche. Uh-huh. Just get on a crawler and roll under uh with the back inclined a little bit i could reach up and slip the hose on the little bit of fitting that showed uh-huh. drop the hose into the uh, oil catch bucket the officially approved for recycling purposes kind from of the from the uh, um um national auto parts association store that's the place that's the place uh <laughs> give a little twist to the and pull on the i'm sorry i'm sorry i meant i meant to say national aviation National Aircraft Parts Association. That's what I meant to that's say. That's right. Yeah, the NAPA. <laughs> that's right. The National Air. Yeah. yeah the, the 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 biggest pain in the butt was getting the filter off and not getting oil all over the back of the. On those Continentals, that I mean, I'm sorry. On those little bitty light comings, that is a hard job. Yeah. Um, on on mine, it's sticking straight up vertically with the base at the bottom. Um, just behind my baffling, just behind the engine, open up the other side of the cowling, and boom, there it is. I stand on a little step stool, and I got all the room and all the light and everything else. Just boom, I don't get dirty. Well, I, it's easy. When I have it to do over, the oil filter adapter will get moved over to the firewall, or mm-hmm. an angled one will get put on, so it comes right. on and that's, goes that's on. That's a very that's a very popular mod for those airplanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it also adds a little bit to the cooling effect, uh-huh. getting it off the engine case. What yeah. other sorts of routine maintenance or any kind of maintenance are owners allowed to do to their Oh, well, there's, certain, a whole, there's a whole there's, list. There's, there's maybe, what, 10, 15 items on this list that are, <clears throat> that are specific and and uh, <clears throat> fairly straight, as, as straightforward as um, – you know, a, a government regulation can be, mm-hmm. uh, all things considered. I mean, um, and are you even required to get one-time training to do these things, or are you? Is it just not generally? There's, no. There's no requirement. There's no specific requirement. It's definitely advised. Uh-huh. But as long as you do it correctly, no one really cares, and that's really what's what the problem. I mean, what the what the rationale should be. I I it was explained to me. I watched a couple of people do it. I mean, I, I've changed oil on vehicles for. You know, right? Literally decades. Yeah, and I could probably so, figure that out, but I'm not yeah, sure if I'd want to try that, and if I bought that, an airplane tomorrow, if I'd want to change the oil on Friday. That you know? that part's not that not hard to figure out. 
um, the the cha- the only challenge really for me was learning how to safety wire, and I got pretty good at it. Uh, I wouldn't have what, thought I, that other than knowing how to string it and how to thread it, um, there would be a challenge to it. What's, what's well? It's how to work the pliers and how how short to cut the wire, and you know things like that mm-hmm. uh, that you know kind of come into it. Um, well, here, and and how, how how loose or how tight do you make the the twists and the safety wire, things like that. And also making sure that you put the safety wire on anchored in the proper direction because right. otherwise it does no good. Otherwise it's it there no to make sure the oil filter doesn't yeah. unscrew itself. Uh, otherwise it will help to loosen the the oil cap, the oil, I'm sorry, the oil filter yeah, rather the, than strain my it. Trick for, my, my yeah. little memory trick was to cut the safety wire at the filter and leave the safety wire anchored to the engine where it normally would be anchored until it was time to put the new safety wire on. Then I would cut the old safety wire off at the engine tab and run the new wire through and and twist, 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 and then put it around the oil filter ear and twist, 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 and I always went back to the right one. But there's a whole list under Appendix A to Part 43 uh, under preventive maintenance, like you can remove and install uh, uh, and repair your landing gear tires, uh, elastic shock absorber cords on landing gear, uh, bearings, ser- brakes. Right, you service the landing gear struts by adding oil, air, or both. Uh, wheel bearings, cleaning and degreasing, uh, replacing defective safety wiring or cotter keys. Uh, let's see. Uh, lubrication not requiring disassembly other than removal of non-structural items such as cover plates, cowlings, and fairings. Uh, you could put hydraulic fluid back in hydraulic reservoirs like brakes. You can change light bulbs. Uh, you can remove and replace the seats. Yep, I'm sorry, big girl. Uh, you can replace the seat belts. Uh Jiminy, uh, you can replace or clean the spark plugs and set the gaps and put them back. And that's something that there's a few of these where being taught by somebody qualified, being taught the correct way to do these could go a long way to making them uh, one of those maintenance items where you don't do it four times before you have to stop. Yeah, that would I would consider that personally to be a requirement. I, I understand it's not a requirement or requirement, but uh, well, yeah, is you know, it, I mean, I suppose you can just kind here's, of here's here's my response. Okay, yes, but just like flying, just like being in the left seat of an airplane that's that's happens to be moving through the air, um, you don't want to get in over your head. You have to know what you're doing and have some confidence in what you're doing. And in the airplane, you have to have that same confidence and knowledge when you're on the ground changing the spark plugs or changing the oil or, or something like that. Uh, don't get in over your head. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything that, that you haven't been trained to do or don't, or don't know how to do. And that's a good rule, you know, uh, working on the airplane, flying the airplane, and in so many other endeavors. You can. This list even goes so far as to tell you that you can remove and replace uh, uh, electronic avionics items uh, that don't require you to do anything more than release the uh, uh, restraining screw Mm -hmm. and then pull it out of a tray. Right. 
one right. of those deals where it's the trade that's wired up. When you put the replacement or the old one back in, it automatically mates to the same wires. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, some of this stuff, believe it or not, can save you a lot of bucks when it comes time. If you, if you learn to do them and volunteer to do them yourself, uh, like oil changes, fixing tires, uh, doing some of the prep work for an annual inspection. Like all the covers got to come off, right? Well, there's no reason why that you're approved to remove the covers. Well, even if you weren't approved to remove them, you're acting, you're working under the supervision of someone who is. So your nose is clean there. You could pull the wings off as long as the IA was there. As long as the IA was there. And and he signed off on them going back on. But the benefit of being able to get a head start on some of this stuff without the guy being there. Right. Well, it's something that's worth taking advantage of because then, you know, if you've got a good working relationship with a mechanic, you can come in at a time when he may not be there to supervise, and sure. you can get a head start on all the stuff that's legal for you to get a head start on. Well, what I'm saying, yeah, that's true. And, you know, spark plugs, oil, things like that is, is certainly helpful. What I'm trying to get at, though, is that he can disassemble the entire airplane. Uh, without the IA being around, it's how it goes back together, and who signs it off after it went also back together. True. It's, That's true. it's critical. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, he can he can the owner or an, or an informed owner, I should say, can do a lot. Uh, actually, a lot more than what's in Part Thirty Three. I'm sorry, Forty Three sub Appendix A. He just can't sign it off when it goes back together. Right. So, uh, for that, you need you know that certificates, and then that's. If the if the IA the mechanical sign off on it, it doesn't really matter who did the work. Mm-hmm. He's taking responsibility for it. Right. It always surprised me, guys that I met that owned an airplane, that wouldn't pick up a pair, of, you know, a screwdriver or a pair of pliers, and do the little you know sweat equity stuff that yeah. could, in the long term, save them five maybe six hours off the maintenance bill. Uh-huh. You know, I, uh, I I think it makes a lot of I sense. I never understood that. Well, see, but my – and as I've gotten more comfortable with airplanes over the years and more experience and talk to more people, I'm more comfortable with the idea. And I probably would get involved with maintenance on my own um, to the extent I was allowed. But uh, for years, I didn't want anything to do with that. For example, I never – it never – I. People, you know, I hung out a lot with builders, home builders, and uh-huh. but I said I'm not going to build an airplane. And I, you know, I sort of said it's a variation on the old Groucho Marx joke. I said I didn't want to be be the pilot of any plane that had me as its builder. You know, uh, and that, that, that's all well and good. And yeah. uh, think think of the level of familiarity and comfort that that comes from doing little things that get your nose, your eyeballs, your head. Oh, now and I'm totally... parts of the airplane that you don't normally see. Yeah, I totally buy that. And you look at it and now. you go, wow, so that's how that works. Yeah, uh-huh. no, I totally buy that now. But I can understand that a lot of people might be intimidated by the whole thing. Because I, I get that part. And mechanically I, and it's minded, not, you know. It's not for everybody. You know, I mean, my, uh, by my nature, tinkering, I, I'm a software yeah. guy, not a hardware guy, you know. Right. And, so. and tinkering with a computer might be, you know... Uh, uh, now that's uh, outside my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, there you see? see. Boom, there you go. There you go. But I guess well, I, uh, I know. I know if I cut the wrong wire, all the electrons leak out. That nothing works. Yeah. Here, here, I guess here's my. I, you know, I've never really had. Well, I, years ago, not not with my current airplane, have I ever had a, a maintenance issue that you know the airplane immediately needed to go back to the shop for for repair or or uh, remediation of something that got screwed up. But I have had that happen to me before. 
Um, and I'm not saying that I'm God's gift to working on airplanes. It's far from it. But generally, well, generally speaking, when I'm when I'm working on something, whether it's you know the wheel bearings or the brakes or um, changing the plugs or changing the oil or something like that, I know at the end of the day when I'm finished with it that it's done correctly. Yeah, and um, that's money in the bank. Also, mm-hmm. uh, not having to depend on um, you know. Uh, not having, uh, I'm sorry, having a, an informed opinion about what might be wrong with the airplane or, or um, you know, what maintenance it might need is is not a bad thing either. One other point, um, when it comes to owning and operating an aircraft, um, the FAA makes it perfectly clear that it's the owner-operator who's responsible for the maintenance. Yeah. Uh, he's responsible for ensuring all the certifications are accomplished and the aircraft is used as as approved and inspected. And um, so there has to be some level of knowledge, at least of the status of the aircraft's maintenance and and record keeping thereof on the part of the owner or the operator. So it's not a free ride. It's not like it's not like going out and buying a new BMW and having five year bumper to bumper coverage on it. Uh, and all you got to do is buy uh, windshield wipers, brake pads, and tires. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not quite like that. You don't yeah, just it's not like turn, up, turn over, okay, it How do I tune the radio, yeah. and where do I put the gas in yeah. Which, by the, the way, the, is exactly why a 35-year-old airplane is nothing to be afraid of. But exactly. Don't get right. me back there again. Well, so, uh, we go back to our previous conversation yeah. about a 40-year-old mouth. Yeah. Well, What's, uh, what else is going on? Uh, what, else, what other stories have happened in the last four days? We got this woman who tried to shoot down an airplane because it was too noisy. This is, I, yeah, this is, <laughs> where was this now? This is a wacky story. You know, it's so, well, first of all, it's not, this is from a blog. So we'll this take this with a small Missouri, grain Fulton, salt, Missouri. But Fulton, Missouri, 69-year-old Judy Davis uh, was pissed off about uh, 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 <laughs> ultralight. It doesn't ultra- say that. It does not say pissed off in this story. Well, she took a gun and went to try and shoot it down, so I'm guessing she she was unhappy. Um, apparently, ultralight planes had been doing practice runs all afternoon. I'm reading from this blog called uh, Gadling.com. Uh, and uh, some of them had been flying pretty close to her house. Normally, when someone encounters aviation noise annoyance, they contact the airport, their local authorities, or the FAA. Sadly, Mrs. Davis decided to skip all that and took matters into her own hands. With a gun in her pocket, she walked into the terminal building, announced that she was going to shoot down a plane, then waltzed right out onto the runway and did just that. Uh, even though it wasn't clear whether she actually hit the ground or the plane, um, a pilot coming in for a landing aborted his attempt while authorities, quote, intercepted her. And, you know, uh, there's a, an, an element of this that I read elsewhere. Well, read the last paragraph. Well, yeah, so the most surprising part of the story is that local police let her go on a $4,500 bond. Uh, and then, oh, no, is, no, 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 no. $4,500 bond, bond, you can... You, if the charge is such that you can post bond and get out, that's everybody's right. You know, that's not what disturbs me. What uh, disturbs you? What disturbs me is that the FBI was called in because attacks on aircraft are federal crime. Yeah. Uh, the FBI took a shine on this. Well, it was an ultralight. Does it make a difference? Yeah. It wasn't a certificate. Didn't have uh, a, probably didn't uh, have a tail number. I, 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 I severely, severely mistrust 
the characterization here because the the description that I read elsewhere, I wish I'd held on to it, uh, was of uh, somebody giving flight instruction. Oh, okay. So you don't think it really was an ultralight? It just I don't think it really was an ultralight, yeah. and I don't think it really freaking matters anyway because ultralights. Right. Uh, despite popular opinion to the opposite, ultralights are regulated by the FAA. They are covered by federal law. The lack of a registration or type certificate is not anywhere in the FARs that I've ever seen exempt them from coverage for being uh, covered by laws against attacks on aircraft. Plus, you would think that carrying a gun out onto the ramp would probably be against some law or another. Um, Well, it's against a bunch of laws, and a bunch of them are federal. Uh, That's my point. it, it, It... yeah, I mean it's against federal law. What she did is is violation of, of federal or uh, how should I put this? Federal statute. Thank you. Um, that having been said, um, you know there's a lot of airports where people can, can someone can walk in the front door carrying a shotgun, carrying a bazooka, carrying a pool table, and walk out the front door. Um, so what? What is is threatening about trying to or needing to restrict why do we need to restrict that activity yeah no i agree i, I hear what you're uh, saying and plus it doesn't appear that this is a, a very big airport this is yeah, not a, a tsa this, airport this is and, not and, a and uh, this is this is a one-time thing no one got hurt um you know the woman clearly um um had had, had enough it's not like it's an organized um group of brown no, people no, coming no, to I'm, kill I'm us sorry, in our I sleep have, I have no sympathy here. Okay, I don't have any sympathy been, for the woman. Read this last sentence, though, um, uh, of this of this story. And this guy's, you know, so why is why is this municipal airport so unsecure? And I, you know, I guess my point is, it is secure because you know this is the only kind of thing that's happened there. So you know, shut up and I'm, go away and leave us alone. Same kind of same kind of theme that we started with. Uh, not, started not with even, Jack at the not top even of the looking show. Looking at at the airport security aspect of it, as much as the black letter law mm-hmm. that says that it's against federal law, federal statutes to screw with an airport, to well, shoot at airplanes. Here in uh, here in Venice, in uh, Florida, where I used to have my airplane based, uh, a friend of mine was telling me recently um, that. There's a big the, the airport is not at all popular with the uh, with a certain faction of people uh, in in the city of Venice, Calif- uh, Venice California, Venice, Florida. Um, they've packed the city council. They're ranting and raving. They've tried to close the airport. They're trying to do some stuff with some golf course property next to it, and yada yada yada. It's it's valuable real estate. I understand that airport's been here since World War II. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, everybody and else this- came later. Right. All this stuff has grown up around it, and they've accepted federal money. So, you know, the, the 20-year clock is ticking. There's nothing anyone can do uh, to the airport, and there's just a lot of angry, pissed-off people. Well, one of them happened to cop a small aviation handheld port radio, okay? And apparently was screaming at people in the pattern over this little handheld radio, stop flying over my house. You're, you know, I'm going to shoot you down and stuff like this. I don't know when this was, uh, but I, I believe the veracity of, of, of what I was told. Punchline is this is really nothing new. These are just these are just hot-headed people. Um, this one happened in August, <laughs> you know, okay. not coincidentally. But you know, uh, that, that's fine. Let it let 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 their silly butts 
be hot-headed people in Leavenworth. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, uh, I, because I, I, you and I both know right. that if this had been some guy up in a real ultralight uh-huh. shooting a BB gun at uh-huh. rabbits on the ground that somebody felt threatened, we would be talking about terrorist alerts uh-huh. and federal intervention and the terrible crimes of people being able to fly around anywhere and shoot at things. All right. So what's good for one's good for the other. Right. Uh, 69 years old. I'm sorry. She's 63 years old enough to know better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let lock, lock her butt up in Leavenworth and let her yep. kind of soak in on the, uh, uh, the reality of what happened here, because her getting away with it, oh, well, you know, that old lady back in Missouri, she shot at an airplane, and they wound up not really doing anything to her. What are they going to do to me? There's the Dave that we know and love. Things are yeah, kind of getting I back think the, into I think the, uh, the, Things are uh, getting back in, in uh, the proper order again. Yeah. The NyQuil's kicking in. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> so... Uh, Listener, uh, listener R. Felty, I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, has been busy this past week. Um, in addition to uh, witnessing by radio the uh, the forced landing that we were talking about, um, he brings us an interesting report uh, from the uh, President Obama TFR down on Martha's Vineyard. Um, we talked yeah. uh, last week, and I think in a couple past couple episodes about uh, this TFR, and I was uh, this was my earlier rant about this uh, biplane operation that was shut down for the week. Where is this? Do I have to refresh? Uh, no, it should be on the this? list there. It's called uh, what's it called? It's called uh, it's called Progress TSA eases open the TFR a bit. I don't know what those words Progress, mean. Progress eleven. Yeah. Number 11 on Number 11. Um, so, uh, our reports to us, um, and I'll read just a bit from his for- posting in the forums. He says, from another source at the airport, he's talking about this particular airport, Katana, Katama, uh, down in uh, Martha's Vineyard. I got this bit of interesting information. I was told that during the weeks prior to the TFR, some communication began between the biplane owner, uh, Classic Aviators, he says it's called, uh, and someone at the FAA and or Secret Service, or perhaps both, he writes. Uh, he says the, they began a delicate dialogue, and the end result was that Classic Aviators was given an opportunity to fly under the TFR. Uh, if they installed a transponder in one of the planes, they furnished the TSA with names of passengers, allowed a TSA person to be stationed at Katama. Uh, they could, in fact, give sightseeing rides uh, in one plane while remaining east of the main airport uh, and in communication with the, uh, in, uh, the uh, Martha's Vineyard uh, Tower for every flight. Uh, they, it was installed, he writes, and they ultimately got to do some limited flying that week. So it wasn't a total shutdown. And, and uh, you know, and Dave, this is another example where you're being the reasonable one here because you, you commented to this that, well, tell us what your comment is to this. Well, uh, when we were talking about this, uh, originally I mentioned that for the first time the uh, TSA and the FAA had worked out a way for people, for pilots to access airports inside the 10-mile ring which heretofore had been no man's land, get your butt shot down territory. Uh, And I looked at that as progress in in this administration. That was something that was suggested. Methods were suggested. The pilots going into the inner ring had to stop at a gateway airport first, uh, airport on the way to the Martha's Vineyard area, uh, and get checked out there, and then they were allowed in. It's kind of like the same system in place, except a little simpler to go into National Airport in Washington, D.C. So then we find out that not only did 
the TSA and the FAA and the Secret Service work out that expansion of access. But they added an opportunity here uh, for a way that uh, the uh, air tour folks inside. It kind of mirrors what they did for folks trying to fly in. Uh, this is all common sense stuff that was suggested many, many, many times to TSA and other security apparatchik folks uh, back in 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2001. 2007. Yeah, you're right. 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, all the way through. Uh, never got any mileage, never I will say this, that if it hasn't been for the record that operators have established since 9-11, the record of the operations going in and out of national, the record of the, uh, the regular operations that continue inside um, the, um, the flight-restricted zone around Washington, D.C., uh, and so many other um, ways in which this industry has really bent over backwards to accommodate, but also be accommodated. And um, as a result of some hard work by uh, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, we finally demonstrated that we're grown-ups and that uh, you know, we deserve some attention and we deserve some, uh, 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 some gratification well, you, here for we, our efforts. We deserve a method. It, 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 if you're going to treat us all like suspects, you right. at least deserve a method for showing that we're not Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and give us a, give us a chance to establish a track record so that that can be expanded. I think we're seeing some of that now, and uh, um, I, I take it as a good sign. I'm not holding my breath. Well, I'm also taking a good sign. I didn't put this on the list because I'm going to have a conversation with somebody closer to this on Friday, and I'll have more to add to the well next week. But uh, I understand that uh, there's an acting. There's there's not a head of the TSA right now because there's some folks in the Senate that are taking exception to some of the appointments being made, so they're putting holds. So we have a, a an unappointment area here is heading the TSA. But in the meantime, the TSA does have a new guy in charge of the general aviation section, mm-hmm. and he's been busy meeting with all the requisite groups. And the first feedback to come my way from one of these meetings of this new guy with the alphabet groups was they all came, the alphabet group folks that I talked to all came out of the meetings with a real sense that somebody was listening. <laughs> well, okay. and, and I'm, ser- I'm serious. That's a, that's a, that, that is a sea change from sitting in a room with a bunch of TSA people, a bunch of FAA security people and Secret Service people and making a presentation and not having any sense that anything was heard. And right. then the folks that came to listen to you saying, thank you for coming in, we'll be in touch, and leave. Uh, very discouraging, and it's kind of the, the, the mechanism that led us up to last year's uh, aborted abortion-style uh, large aircraft security program proposal, uh, <clears throat> where it recognized nothing in the way of GA's differences from the airlines, recognized nothing in the difference in operations. It recognized nothing about the individual ownership of some of these airplanes. Uh, 
the feedback from the meetings with the new GA guy is that he actually has questions to ask about how this proposal impacts that. Would a different proposal, would something more along these lines accomplish what we want to and not interfere with your ability to operate and that kind of stuff? So uh, I'm like Jeb. I'm not ready to see that there. You know that uh, we don't have to worry about this agency anymore, but there does seem to actually be progress and an attitude uh, of being open to a dialogue. You know, dialogue. Look it up in a dictionary, all you folks. I I, we don't have any listeners that are that dumb, so I'm going to stop. I think it's way too early to to. I'm not. I can't say that. Um, I, I think it's way too early to uh, ascribe any um, further. Um, you know, I don't know. Agreed. A, a lightning of the the forces of darkness here. Yeah. Because uh, we still I, got I, I don't, stupid, I, I, We still got this stupid badge thing at all the. We air still got. We still got TSA generally, and yeah. until uh, we you can know, figure fair. out a way to this airport to has to hold secure back TSA. Badge, but that badge won't be good at the other airport because they have right. to do it. Too. Jeb, right. you put on Which, the list this James Fallows column about right. uh, the TSA. And, Tell, and, and what's it's this just, all about? Fallows, of course, is is a uh, uh, fairly well known author. Um, um, wrote a book um, not quite ten years ago called Free Flight which was kind of a uh, promotion, if you will, of or a description anyway of the. Uh, um, uh, NASA's small airplane transportation system, SATs, or, or uh, and and the whole uh, Cirrus uh, and uh, Eclipse uh, uh, phenomenons, phenomena uh, relative to small, efficient, um, relatively short-range uh, single and, and twin piston, single and twin-engine aircraft um, used regularly as transportation, short-range transportation. And uh, it was very interesting. He talked about, you know, a lot of a lot of things that were, <clears throat> excuse me, we continue to see improvements in, like direct routings and and uh, highly automated flight things like this. Um, but uh, Fallows has a blog um, uh, at, via the Atlantic magazine, and uh, he sold. He used to have an SR twenty. Recently, I don't know, sold it a few years ago. Actually, I guess. Um, but he's been following. He travels a lot, so he's been following uh, TSA a lot. And um, uh, had a couple of posts here in the last week or so. Um, the uh, most recent one <clears throat> uh, just kind of sums up um, a lot of uh, a lot of things that has been discussed recently about have been discussed recently about TSA. And one of the things that he pointed out was that there was this um, private organization that worked to do um, collect additional information and do kind of super vetting of passengers willing to pay for the privilege. And one of the things that um, relatively small amount of money bought for the passengers was the ability to go to kind of a VIP security line. Well, apparently that that, that private company went under uh, a month or so ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, all of these people who have paid money and gone through this super vetting process now have to, you know, of course, go through security with the hoi polloi. Um, but the punchline here is why was a federal agency, uh, the TSA, 
allowing that kind of discrimination on behalf of a, a, a third party, uh, a private sector business? And that's a very good question. Um, and then you're not going uh, like to the answer. You're, yeah, you're not going to like the answer. It's it's money talks and, and blowing snow walks. But um, uh, he also quotes at length a uh, a piece from Patrick Smith, who uh, uh, writes on Salon.com. Um, his his column is called "Ask the Pilot." And and Smith also has been kind of on a tear with TSA recently. He's a line pilot, and he has to put up with this stuff on a day to day basis just to get for, just to get to work. And you know that's that's to me that's hardcore. But uh, um, and he he makes a lot of very good points here. And kudos to to both Patrick and to and to James for uh, uh, going through some of this and kind of highlighting what what might be you know. Uh, hopefully, are, are reasoned or are received as reasoned, uh, experienced opinions. Yeah, this is. Uh, we'll put the complete link in the show notes. But to get to the to the archive of uh, James Fallows, it's James Fallows. I mean, I had it a second ago. James Fallows dot theatlantic dot com, and uh, you can take a look at this. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, so that we got our we got our weekly TSA rant out of the way. Oh, That's yeah. good. We checked that box off. <laughs> we're, we're Hang just on. Out. Let me let me do my heavy breathing. <sighs> okay. Uh, we all just got to go flying, man, because we're uh, all in a bad Jack, I hope, you, I hope you cut that out. I can I can I can spell that from here. <laughs> David, you heard from uh, a listener from a far off place. Well, kind of indirectly. Uh huh. So this is a shout out to Dick Morell. Who, uh, Dick, I understand from Kenny Papard that you're in Iraq right now. <laughs> uh, Dick described himself as a devoted fan of a podcast called Uncontrolled Airspace with Jack Hodgson, Dave Ignan, and Jeb Burnside in a note that he sent to our mutual friend, Ken Papard, when he heard me talking about the Joe Nall Award uh, a couple episodes back, uh, episode 150. So, uh, I just wanted to say, hi, Dick. Yeah. Drop us a note sometime. Yeah. Drop into yeah. the forums. If you're listening and you're out there and you noticed us talking about Joe uh, and, uh, and Ken, uh, yeah, Joe, Joe and I go back to his time at the NTSB. Ken and I go back to Kenny's time helping write part 103 for the ultralights back in the very early 1980s. And... Uh, uh, just kind of blew me away. A yeah. listener in Iraq sending a note to a, a, a longtime friend of mine saying that he's a longtime listener to our podcast. That was like, wow, what a, you know, I don't even want to say what a small world it is for fear of Disney hitting me up for copyright violation. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be worth it. So, there was a, so I came across a story in uh, on aeronews.net recently, uh, the headline of which was FAA posts NPRM for pilot flight instructor rules. Um, and, and apparently, and I don't know if this is routine or a big deal, but FAA wants to make some changes to the flight instructor and the pilot rules. And uh, um, Yeah, these the, have been in the works for quite a while. The sentence yeah. that caught my attention was um, the FAA also proposes to revise the definition of complex airplane. And I yeah. wonder if you guys knew anything about this. You can educate me a little bit. To me, complex airplane means um, retractable landing gear, uh, constant speed prop. Yes? Um, and or cow flaps. 
Okay. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, um, and and what I got from the story, uh, I couldn't quite get the whole, but apparently they want to, some of this advanced avionics, they want to kind of classify as a complex airplane, a G1000. I don't know. What jumped into my head was, oh, G1000 is going to become a complex airplane, even if it's in a, like a 152. Do you know anything more about this? What what I, I've seen, I know that there there is a proposal out there. I don't know the details of it. Your version might be absolutely one hundred percent correct. I don't know. Well, believe me, it's not likely. But um, no, I, I'm just saying. I'm just kind of curious. I know that there's something floating around out there. I know the FAA has this MPRM out there. Uh, I have not looked at it. I will look at it in the very near future and see what's in yeah, it. Yeah, it's on my list. I've got. I downloaded the NPRM. I have not been through it yet. Uh, a couple of things in it did, uh, in the uh, uh, summaries that I'd read did jump out at me as really helpful ideas for uh, uh, large institutional flight schools. For mm-hmm. example, allowing a pilot applicant to apply for and take the check ride simultaneously for a private pilot certificate and an instrument rating. Uh-huh. Really? Uh, you okay. know, uh, the the uh, minimum hours for an instrument rating got done away with, if I remember correctly, a long time ago. Uh, well, now you basically go from yeah. one to the other. Yeah, when I got my instrument, you needed 200 hours total time. Right. And a lot of that had to be cross-country. And a lot of that got, you know, uh, melted down on the idea that letting people work on and get their instrument ratings faster well, would be a good safety step. We were losing people because um, they were going out and using the airplane and didn't have the seasoning, didn't have the uh, the training and the skill. They got it right. over their heads. They shouldn't have, but they did. If they'd had a little bit more training and been able to file and fly IFR they might not have busted their butts. And right. uh, to the FAA's great credit, they tweaked up the, the minimum requirements for an instrument rating, making it easier and, and less dangerous over that, that, first, that period of the first couple hundred hours um, to actually get a license and get an airplane and actually use it. So you know, and I think the, it's the been a good thing all the way around. Yeah, it has been a good thing. I think requiring the PIC proficiency check for single pilot turbojet aircraft is a good thing as well. Uh, well, you, you know, it's, 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 it's an area that up. wasn't really covered specifically. It was kind of covered if you put the other stuff together. Anything with a turbojet, you have to have a typewriting for anyway. Well, that's true, but this pilot command proficiency check uh, has not been spelled out specifically, so you just did a regular biennial. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, we, we're already doing that, though. So what's going to be the difference, and, and where is it going to rear up and bite me in the I, butt? I think where it's going to be a difference, the way I read the uh, synopses that I looked at, is that the proficiency check is going to be geared more to that environment, uh, single pilot, so, IFR, so turbojet, as opposed to the much looser standard that you face when you just go in for a biennial. So if you're flying a PC-12 or a, or a TBM-800 and you go get your BFR in a, in a Super Cub, it doesn't count. 
No, but your BFR and the 850 doesn't necessarily have to encompass anything specific to the type or use of the aircraft. It can be simple stuff. Turns around a point, short, soft field, uh, emergency procedures near the airport. The, the BFR requirements don't spell out that you got to do this, that, and right. the other thing specific to the aircraft type. I think that's where they're heading here is say, you know, uh, what could be picked out of a BFR list is really not adequate to make sure that these guys with single pilot type ratings in their turbojets, uh, that that's a good way to make sure that they're maintaining competency. No, I understand. I understand. Well, maybe we should get somebody. Or we should read the thing. <laughs> it's like yeah, well, just get heck? a copy and read it. Or Let's read it before we talk about it on the podcast. We can get it'll, get read over, yeah. it'll get read over the weekend. FYI, the uh, the AvWeb story on the same subject has this sentence. It says the agency also said it would like to change its definition of complex airplane to include airplanes equipped with FADEC engines. Uh, equipped with what? FADEC, 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 F-A-D-E-C. What FADEC? Is it? Yeah. Really? That's what. Really? The, that's what the yeah. AvWeb the AvWeb story says. Really. What's that? Huh. That's like the fancy single single lever control like, systems, right? That's, yeah, that's like uh, you know a diesel diamond or something. Uh, well, I don't, it, I'm not sure I get that. Uh, the uh, the most of the turboprops and virtually all the uh, the fan jets that are out there now are flying behind some kind of FADEC. What does yeah. it stand for? Uh, I, I, I've heard and there are full some, authority. There are maybe. some. There are some special full authority digital engine control. Yeah, okay. there are some special procedures for controlling the engine in the event that you have a failure of the FADEC system. Yeah, so, so maybe yeah, that's, that's where they're headed. Yeah, but see, I, I, I don't understand. I'm starting to get nervous here because I don't understand the need for additional federal federal regulation in this area. Anybody worthy of flying the air or who should be flying the airplane is going to know this stuff. They're going to be trained in this stuff. And you obviously haven't been paying attention to the federal government, have you? So, um, uh, I think that may be the question here is are they really getting trained in it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. If they're going if they're going to one of the big established institutional companies that specializes in turbine pilot training, they probably are. But once you get that rating, particularly on the turboprop, there's no real requirement that you go back for anything specific unless your insurance company maybe sets it on you. Right, right. So it's kind of, it, it's kind of a you know it's, it's grown beyond into flight levels three zero zero and true air speeds of four hundred knots on some of these turboprops. Uh, so it's kind of moved into territory that. Turboprops didn't really occupy when these rules and regs were first written for. Uh-huh. Well, I, again, I come back to you know we have this regulation, uh, we have we have regulations, and we have something even better. It's called an insurance industry, and the insurance industry requires uh, at least this amount of training uh, yeah. before you can insure the airplane. I, I guess my punchline here is that um, I'm. This sounds all sounds like it's it's being uh, designed to address a problem that doesn't exist. Now, maybe the uh, FAA I, I, thinks it I, may I, exist in the future. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I think they're there's, seeing. There's, yeah, yeah. They're they're seeing something in the tea leaves about the uh, proliferation of more single engine turboprops, more very light jets, and. They're trying to do something that they've never been very good at before. Let's get ahead of the curve. Yeah. So the uh, 
The Hudson River um, helicopter airplane midair uh, is a tragedy that just keeps on giving. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, I don't know. Amen to that. Well, you know, normally these things, I don't mean to minimize the tragedy because it was a tragedy, but normally these things kind of fade from public view after a few weeks and the NTSB goes about its business and they figure out what happened and they, they we learn some stuff, all right? This one just continues to kind of throb in the press and, and well, politics. And, uh, Jack, Jack, yeah. it, happened, it happened in view and recorded in the largest media market in the world. Yeah. So what's the okay. latest now? FAA is actually, you know, already posting some uh, press release out today. FAA announces plan to enhance safety for New York airspace. Basically, it works like this: uh, the administrator, Jiminy, uh, uh, Randy, Babbitt, Babbitt. Thank you, boy. Just How soon we blank. forget. Well, I know it's good. See, if we, if we didn't like him, we'd remember his name. You know, it's like he, if he, he was convened, us off. He, he, he convened a special working group. They got input from the alphabet groups. They looked at how things are. They looked at how things could be. They looked at the NTSB's, I thought, kind of quick turn recommendations myself, uh, and came up with some changes that they're going to they're going to make, including uh, there's uh, they, they want to make. This is not uh, bad. Fights on, and this is on the FAA, yeah. uh, the links yeah. to their press yeah. release from today. Yeah. Uh, they want to make things like uh, lights on mandatory, uh, air-to-air communications mandatory. Uh, they're going to establish a uniform floor for the Bravo over the Hudson River at 1,300 feet, which would serve as the ceiling of the exclusionary zone. Uh, between 1,000 and 1,300 feet would be required for aircraft using VFR to use common radio frequency for the Hudson River. Aircraft below 1,000 feet would use the same radio frequency. Uh, they're talking about some new routes to put on the terminal area chart specific for the helicopters and for sightseeing traffic. Some of this stuff already existed, folks. Uh, it's just that it existed as kind of suggested routes. And the day of the accident, if memory serves me correctly, the helicopter was not on one. And it was not at the altitude prescribed on the back of the terminal area chart. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're, they're taking some, in my yeah. mind, it seems like reasonable common sense steps uh-huh. to... More, uh, import- more importantly, and, and not only... The, the the regulatory requirements for people are just blowing out and, and going down the Hudson uh, um, Hudson corridor. Um, these are things that should be people should be doing anyway. Okay, yeah. these are solid recommendations. These are are best practices that have been established about over, over years. And there's nothing fundamentally burdensome about any of this. This is stuff we no. should be doing anyway. And, 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 and a lot of this also just kind of uh, codifies, not the right word, but maybe it is, codifies what's already being recommended. It just makes it uh, and, and standardized and, and with you know the regulatory yeah. force behind it. The other great thing here, I think, is talking about um, uh, VFR departures out of Teterboro wanting to enter the Bravo. They're going to get a, a specific procedure um, coordinating between Tudor and Newark uh, before the aircraft takes off. 
and have a route and an altitude and, of course, frequencies to go with it. They should have been doing that a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't see any downside to this right now. Right. I, I guess I'm convinced. Hats off. You know, one real quick thought. Hats off to the FAA and, and Administrator Babbitt for not dragging their feet and being dragged into doing something they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. The, this is a common sense um, uh, best practices kind of a response to this challenge, and it's not a bad thing. Okay. Perhaps but a couple of things to keep in mind here. Yeah. Uh, this is, I mean, extremely quick turn. The FAA's New York Airspace Task Force was chartered on August 14. They proposed actions in a report on August 28. Here it is, September 2. Five days later, and we have uh, the uh, the FAA acting on the report. Uh, and they do note that the NTSB issued independent recommendations on August 27 that were not used in the development of the task force safety recommendations, safety enhancement recommendations, because they weren't waiting on the NTSB report. That's important for when you hear people saying, well, they didn't take into account the NTSB report. That's because they were already working ahead of that. And the FAA says that what they're proposing meets or exceeds the NTSB recommendations. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to have to look at them side by side before I swallow that completely. But that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, now, there's nothing wrong here. But Go now, ahead. perhaps separately, um, did I see in the news today, are, is the controllers union still lobbying press releases Press releases yeah. out there about I this whole thing. I thought I saw something. Also, I've actually got a uh, an What's unrelated going on here? call Haven't into, they, into I, Doug I, Church I, at NACA to try to. I to, thought they had been calmed down, else, and uh, well, are they still defending themselves from being being made a scapegoat on this? Yeah, there was a. a I, I don't know. I, I I looked at the NACA site today, actually looking for a few things, and. Uh, Saw some of the PR off there. I'm not sure what I read was was new, or uh, I was just noting a detail from a previous release. Um, but uh, NACA's uh, being a lot more um, uh, proactive here uh, under Babbitt and under Obama, um, and part of that is their their contract uh, is is finally going to get some attention at the agency, yeah. and yeah. Uh, they think they can get a favorable. Um, oh, they've outlook. already gotten. Binding yeah, arbitration's they already, already given yeah. him some big concessions. Yeah, uh, and, and I don't, I don't begrudge, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I don't begrudge him for that. They're just playing the game, and you know, no. I, I think everybody gets that. Um, but um, well, I, uh, I caught a little fly in different corners for saying that the NTSB did <laughs> the right thing, uh, and I saw some opinions yeah. to the opposite yeah. expressed, and uh-huh. you know, they had their own reasoning behind them. Uh, that's fine. Uh, it was interesting to see some reaction to those other opinions, basically saying what I didn't come out and blatantly say was, you know, if you let these guys get away with it, where does it stop? And, right. uh, uh, so, you know, the has got complete latitude now since it's no longer a party to the investigation of this midair, uh, to, uh, go out, go about its business. Yeah. It just needs right. to remember that there's a process that good, bad, or indifferent has 
produced some pretty good results over the decades it's been used, and it's been more productive than non-productive in the long haul, and that that's one of the reasons why people guard it so jealously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah. Um, so is it official? Is is Eclipse officially back in business? Mm-hmm. Yep, as of... Uh, God, David taking a sip of his beer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a they, NyQuil. It's a NyQuil. It's a NyQuil. They, they, no, no, that was the bottom of that. We've we got to end this soon. I just finished my second uh, classic hammer. Yeah, uh, Eclipse Aerospace doing business as Eclipse Aviation, the old company name, officially reopened their doors on uh, Monday, hmm. uh, August 31. Uh, they're the folks that bought the uh, assets out of bankruptcy auction for about forty million. Uh, the group uh, headed up by some Eclipse E five hundred owners. Uh, their first order of business is servicing and taking care of the customers for the two hundred and fifty nine Eclipse five hundreds that have been delivered. And then their next step, and they're already talking to vendors and hiring engineers, is to reestablish serial production of the airplane. And when, you know, uh, reapproval of a production type certificate, a production certificate uh, to go with the type certificate and uh, start selling airplanes again. And this is one of the things that made me look at the changes the FAA's proposed in in some of the pilot training rules that made me think they really think that this little very light jet stuff is going to go places uh, over long term. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're back. Very and encouraging. Who how they thought? do remains to be seen. We're, we wish them the best. We keep our fingers crossed yeah, for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, shout outs. Um, so I want to reiterate uh, uh, congratulations to Fran Sand for uh, his first uh, sport pilot lesson. That's really terrific. And uh, hopefully we'll cross paths, uh, he and I, up in uh, in Sanford over time. And if nothing else, uh, I hope that he will uh, post occasionally in the forums about uh, his experiences and uh, tell us more about uh, how that yeah, is all going. Absolutely. I want to also give a shout-out to uh, another listener, uh, Pilot Brad, who is a listener in the forums. Pilot Brad is is an active blogger, and he's been blogging for quite some time about aviation. Um, As part of his blog, uh, some time ago, he started to accumulate a list of uh, iPhone aviation apps, and it became quite a comprehensive list of all the different uh, uh, aviation-related, flying-related applications that you could get for your iPhone and uh, became quite the place to go if you wanted to uh, figure out what was available. He has spun that out now into a a standalone uh, uh, website called aviatorapps.com, where he is uh, listing and maintaining a list of all of these different apps and what they do and and how you can get get in touch with them and so forth. And uh, um, he's the first to admit that this is a way of monetizing the list so that he can kind of make a little bit back from his efforts, but that's good for him as far as I'm concerned. And uh, we just wanted to uh, point people in the direction of aviatorapps.com. That's from Pilot cool. Brad in the forums. And uh, David, you wanted to point out to us what? Some uh, upcoming aviation events. Yeah, there are a couple of things on the calendar that uh, I wanted to hang out here for the listeners far enough ahead for it to actually be useful for planning service, service purposes. Yeah, I need more NyQuil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll buy. October October 11 and 12, Midland, Texas, the Commemorative Air Force's annual air show. 
Uh, they've cut admission prices. They've added some uh, entertainment value to the event. Uh, I don't know of another event on the calendar here or abroad. Well, there's one in England that may come close uh, that brings together more World War II hardware and puts it in the air than the CAF Air Show. Uh, definitely, definitely should be on your calendar once every few years. <laughs> you okay over there? How you doing, Dave? Dave? Okay, now that I've unmuted. <laughs> oh, man, we missed oh, the good stuff. <laughs> oh, I Oh. The, the other item on the calendar is not until November, and if you belong to AOPA, you're already hearing plenty about it, but uh, oh, yeah. if you don't, you'd be welcome anyway, and that's the uh, renamed AOPA meeting called the Aviation Summit, November 5, 6, 7 in Tampa, uh, with a static display out at Peter O'Night, which is a really neat little airport. Um mm-hmm. If you've never flown in there, it's worth a tour sometime, uh, and uh, here's your opportunity. Anyway, both of these are really worthwhile for getting to rub elbows with other pilots. They're both completely different from one another. And just wanted to give a shout-out and say and hope that they continue to have the kind of attendant success that is being seen at other air shows around the country, other flying events, where everything is up over last year. Yeah. the uh, uh, the if you're a GA pilot... uh, the AOPA Aviation Summit is uh, an excellent stop for learning new things, learning about new things, seeing airplanes and meeting others who get it, as Jack would put it. Right. And the CAF show, who doesn't love old World War II warbirds? Right. Yeah, a great, uh, a great you know, collection. That, that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned before, uh, we're, we're attempting uncontrolled airspace is planning right now, tentatively, knock on wood, to uh, be in attendance at the Ow. AOPA Summit. And... Uh, so uh, watch for uh, more announcements from us about uh, some activities that uh, we'll be holding down in the Tampa area at that time. Uh, any other shout-outs? Jeb, you got anything? Uh, just one, and I don't want to uh, you know, go out here on a, on a kind of a down note. Um, both of you uh, know Randy. Uh, Randy Reinhardt, um, um, neighbor across the street, um, is in the hospital here locally oh. uh, with some hopefully insignificant issues. And um, I'll know more probably by our next episode about uh, how he's doing and whatnot. But uh, uh, Randy's good people. Um, he's definitely someone who uh, has flown his share of airplanes. And um, uh, I got my fingers crossed that everything's going to be just fine. Yeah, absolutely. So thoughts are, our thoughts go with Randy and his lovely lady. And, and Lynn, yes, absolutely. That's right. Okay. David, anything else? I'm good to go. Okay, time to stick a fork in this yep. one then. Do it, Ow. do it. Jeb Burnside is uh, an aviation journalist and is currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Who'd have thunk it? Um, that's my day job website, personal website, JEBurnside.com. Uh, occasionally I pop up on AvWeb, and I might even pop up on the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast website. Uncontrolledairspace.com. Every now and then we find you in the forums. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. Now, not Dave, that I, not that I don't enjoy that. It's just um, um, you're I have limited full bandwidth. Plate. Yes, you have a pretty. Well, you literally have limited bandwidth. I literally, literally and figuratively, have limited bandwidth. That's right. That's right. 
Hey, and uh, Dave Higdon. Uh, Dave, you are an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Where pe- can people find you on the Internet, Dave? Really? That, that's me? That's you. Wow. I always, well, that's, I always, that's before uh, the nightclub. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I'm doing okay. You're all right. Uh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, aviationsafety.com, davehigdon.biz, or just Google me and weed out the golf writer and the theoretical physicist. That's right. Yeah. And you don't can get hit me. by neutrons. That's right. You can Google me too, but leave out that thing with the two donkeys. <laughs> that didn't mute. Um, <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. We want to send out our thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. He's Jet in the forums. If you see him there, say hi and say thank you. Also, uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we use at the beginning of every episode. Every you guys episode. rock. They are terrific, yes. Uh, we also <laughs> are very grateful for the financial support we, re- we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage in the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 5 or $10 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, see, now I'm not going to give you a chance if you keep this up, David. David, what were you going to say? Live long by flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking for this week. Let's go flying. TTFN. Really running on empty yeah. though. The beer is the only yeah. thing that tastes halfway. All right. Well, I'm sorry you don't feel well. You sound fine. Just FYI. Um, well, so. thanks. I appreciate it. it uh, you should have heard me a half hour ago. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sounded a whole lot more like this. Oh, I see. All right. Well, maybe we ought to get going then before it returns. Before whatever yeah, it is wears off. Roll. Whatever it wears off. So I can go curl up with a bottle of Nyquil and some scotch. And that, well, Scott, you're gonna mix. Oh, that's that sounds good. Yeah, that's gonna that's Nyquil not though. Last Nyquil, Nyquil's that, good. That's stuff, not gonna man. last long at all. I'm sorry. Nyquil almost <laughs> makes getting sick worth it. I'll tell you, it's like Nyquil. Oh man, it's just savagely good. <laughs> all right, aviation. Oh um, yeah, I got this podcast thing. So there's a. I don't know if you've paid attention to the news. I'm not sure how much. It's-